District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Georgia hunting will forever be on my mind. And I want to preview two guests that we have coming up on the podcast from my trip to Utah, because tomorrow I'm releasing part two of my public lands report for Conservation Nation, the video series I host with CFACT. Today's episode is going to be brief with these two updates and previewing what content you can expect in the coming weeks. I hope you enjoy a recounting of my Georgia muzzleloader whitetail doe hunt and what you can expect on the Utah episodes coming this week. Over the weekend, I went to South Georgia to participate in the Hunter Recruitment Project's Women's Hunt. And this is a nonprofit organization I'm going to talk about in detail more. We're going to hopefully sit down with some of the co founders in the coming weeks. But I went on this trip with them, and a lot of different organizations are involved Black Rifle Coffee Company, for instance, Yeti and many more outdoor companies you all are probably familiar with. And I got to meet some really impressive women who you'll get to know, familiarize yourselves with better here on the show, like I said, in the coming weeks, but more specifically about the deer I harvested. Some of you may have seen on social media a picture of me with my second deer ever, my first Eastern doe, white-tailed doe, and I want to recount the story of how it went down for you while I have you on this podcast today. Georgia had multiple seasons when I was in town this past weekend. We were staying in Ellaville, which is just above Americus, and I have a friend in Albany, uh, Jalen Johnson, who has been on the program before he is a new commissioner there in the town of Albany, and it's about two and a half hours south of Atlanta, beautiful place. It's a nice area, very different from North Georgia, where I've gone to several times and obviously very different from Atlanta. So it kind of had that more Southern feel to it, more relaxed. But we were at this place called Strange Farms, beautiful place in Ellaville with the Hunter Recruitment Project. We stayed in these glamping tents, which were pretty cozy, but had a little bit of ruggedness to them. And like I mentioned, there were several deer seasons kind of overlapping with our stay. When I arrived on the 20th, It was archery season, which runs through basically most of deer season in any state, even here in Virginia, but theirs is pretty long. And then it was like a week of primitive firearms, muzzleloader, and I was told I'm going to hunt muzzleloader on Friday, October the 21st. I don't hate muzzleloaders, but I've been skeptical of them before. But when I first hunted with them, it was my first ever deer hunt, so to speak, in Virginia. I was not comfortable using it. It was an intimidating weapon. And this time around, I kind of redeemed myself with it because in the years since I've done that experience hunting with Ken Parat, uh, the experience wasn't bad, but when you're a novice, sometimes it is intimidating to use muzzleloaders because it's a whole different apparatus than shooting a conventional rifle. This time I was more controlled. I had better controlled breathing. I was more familiar with shooting muzzleloaders, having done a few media trips In the four years since I first tried muzzleloader hunting, I did some muzzleloader shooting with BPI Outdoors, with CVA and Bergara, 
uh, CVA is what largely has muzzle loaders, kind of modernized muzzle loaders, which are really nice and easy to control. And so I wasn't intimidated to use it. I was like, oh, I want to do crossbow. But I was like, okay, I'll do muzzle loader. I'll get over this little fear or grip I have with it. Got to do it. And I was paired with another more experienced hunter with my new friend, Dana, who works with Black Rifle Coffee Company. Since I wasn't really a novice, it was just like, you know, having someone to kind of reassure you because some other women involved in the hunt never had hunted deer before. So I wasn't brand, brand new, but I'm, I guess I would say I'm advanced beginner in terms of my hunting level abilities. I can take good shots, but I am nowhere near ready quite yet to do do do-it-yourself hunts, but I probably will get there at some point in the near future, God willing. But Dana and I went to a redneck blind on the property that we were hunting. We were there in the afternoon because we were told that deer were moving closer to the evenings and the temperature was fluctuating quite a bit. When we got there, it was like 70s, 60s, and then in the evenings, it was chilly. All of the East Coast has been kind of chilly in the evenings. We're settling into fall, and so it's not atypical, but it was a little colder than I expected, even for late October. And so mornings are chilly. We were told that deer were not really moving, and I wanted to get sighted in, of course. I was like, okay, afternoon hunt. Found out my partner would be Dana from BRCC. We go to the blind. We get situated. And of course, I remembered from sitting in blinds previously, you have to be super quiet. You can't really fidget, make a noise. And I think cumulatively, we were sitting and hunting for three and a half, four hours, give or take, from the time we entered the blind until we retrieved my deer. And like many hunting trips, you're going to wait a little bit, even if you have the conveniences of a blind, an elevated blind like the one we were using And we didn't see any deer maybe for the first hour, hour and a half. And then deer started to trickle into this feed area, this really nice field that was kind of nestled against this forest. And the brush in South Georgia is pretty thick. North Georgia had very similar vegetation, thick vegetation. I don't recall the type of plants that were there, but like North Georgia, I felt like South Georgia was pretty thick, but different, um, different kind of ecology down there, but really interesting place. So farmland, uh, kind of this nice little patch with a feeder, and there were deer coming eventually. And we saw in total, I think, a dozen, a little bit more than a dozen deer. But this first grouping of deer came in. There was bucks, there were does, there were button bucks. And if you're new to hunting and you're not sure, sometimes those button bucks can be really similar to does. And if you're not careful and look closely enough, you may mistake a doe for a button buck. Like I said, um, last day of muzzleloader season, I got mentally prepared. We decided in. I was cognizant of me knowing that I would be shooting with a muzzleloader, was not intimidated by it, kind of understood it. And was like, okay, maybe I will get over this little hangup I have with muzzle loaders and, and redeem myself. And we were using um, one of the organizers, Baker Levitt, who works also with BRCC and Hunter Recruitment Project. And I, he told me that I was the first person to use his muzzle loader to christen it and to take a successful shot. So that was really cool to to know that and to to give good luck to whoever uses it next for future hunter recruitment project events. We see this first batch of deer. I kind of prepare my muzzle loader. I prepare the muzzle loader 
not to take a shot perhaps, but just to see if I get a clear enough shot. I think the first doe I really set my sights on was about 70 yards away, but it was moving and it was kind of deciding whether or not to go into this forest. And I was like, okay, I'm not comfortable and I needed to adjust the scope and make sure I have a good reading of it because my vision sometimes, even with contacts, can be a little blurry. So I I was like, okay, uh, maybe not take this, put back my safety on, wait for the next doe to come. And it's a waiting game. Deer hunting is a waiting game, even with a lot of deer. But you have to be, again, extremely cautious to make sure you are hitting the right deer if you're told to specifically seek out does, white-tailed does. Some time passes by, more bucks, more does come in, and they're just hanging way out of a comfort zone for me to shoot. I think I could have probably shoot them at 100 yards, but I still wasn't comfortable. I was like, okay, under 100 yards, I'll be very comfortable. And the sun was starting to set. This is another batch of time passed, maybe two and a half hours, three hours in. And a couple does go beyond the feeder, come left towards us to my left. And they're moving, moving more. And I'm able to kind of see that I can get shot. So I adjusted the scope. I positioned. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And the muzzle loader through kind of one of the windows that opens in this redneck blind because it's kind of heavy to hold by yourself, so I needed a foundation to place the gun on safely so I could see the deer clearly look through the scope and make sure I have a good reading of it. And I was like, it's now or never. I need to get this done. And I don't want to have to repeat in the morning. Not that I wouldn't have wanted to hunt with rifle or crossbow, but I was like, okay, if I'm hunting muzzleloader, I might as well do something and and be successful or do something and get a result from this because I've waited long enough. I've been patient enough. The deer is perfectly broadside. Seeing that I had good coverage, seeing that it was reasonably close and that I had a good angle on it, I had a good sighting on it, I looked through the scope, took off the safety, and I was ready to go. I pulled the trigger. Couldn't see the deer after I took the shot. And Dana was also similarly looking to make sure that I had hit the target as well, this deer in question. And it's a little hard with muzzleloader smoke, with gunpowder smoke, to see in the cloud that's left over from it. She reassured me that I did take a shot because she heard wrestling in the brush nearby. And she was very confident I did. So we high-fived. I'm like very calm. And I was like, okay, I think I did it. Then a few of the guys were coming back to get us actually providential how funny they came like a few minutes after I took the shot we were summoned to be taken back to the camp and we told them hey we got a deer and they were in disbelief initially then we're like no no we heard it go through the bushes and so they go to search for the deer deer is there I forget exactly how many yards inland from the place I took the shot it was once the deer had expired fully we dragged her out I took a grip and grin under the stars and constellations that marked the Georgia, South Georgia sky. 
And I felt extremely happy that I was able to kind of overcome this hesitancy to shoot with muzzleloader and get the job done. I think I was the only participant of the party that had gotten a deer that day with muzzleloader. Some people had close shots with muzzleloader and crossbow and conventional bow, um, but I was the only one who took a kill shot that day. Uh, But the other women were able to get deer the following day. I think most people notched their tags both in the morning and also the afternoon of October the 22nd. And we're going to have those ladies come on to talk about it. But I'm on cloud nine, of course. I did not harvest the deer in vain. I'm going to be eating the deer. It's going to be shipped to me, the meat that I am waiting on, because they wanted to process it for us. And that was very generous of them to offer the processing there. Um, I would have been fine with processing myself, but I think because of the extent of our party, because we were a large group, uh, they offered to do that. And that's very nice of them. But I did field dress my first deer that I got in Wyoming about two years ago. So detractors who may be listening, I know how to field dress and process a deer. I've done it before. I did my first one. But I understand for time purposes, it was easier to do that. And I can't wait to get it because meat is expensive and deer meat venison is delicious. And it's a lot of fun to create dishes with it. I think this time around with the deer coming my way. We're going to probably make some, of course, venison roasts. I love those. I want to try to make some jerky successfully again, because last time I tried, it did not work. I did something wrong. I goofed up with the recipe that I attempted last time uh, with my whitetail dough from Wyoming. I also want to try like maybe venison salami because I love hard meats. It's the Eastern European in me. We love that type of stuff. Maybe some more bacon wrap venison type roasts and other like venison steaks. I'll figure out exactly what cuts of meat I'll be having and hopefully maybe venison burgers again. We had a lot of ground venison that we were able to use for my Wyoming deer. So I'm hoping that they processed it where we could have some more ground venison. But I'm very happy that to have had a successful hunt in South Georgia um, and even the wildlife agency from Georgia interacted and they've followed me a little bit on social media for a while. So it was kind of cool to even get an acknowledgement from them. I want to thank everyone for the well wishes because it's just really gratifying to know where your food comes from. It's really nice to get affirmation that your hunting journey is worthwhile, that it is a sport to keep up with. It's practical. It's a lot of fun. It's not just taking kill shot But to not go home empty-handed was a gratifying feeling. I'm very happy to have had success, and I can't wait to hopefully recreate this again. I think with Rifle for Virginia's upcoming season in the next couple of weeks, I think after Thanksgiving, Rifle season opens here in Virginia. I'm hoping to recreate this, but I'm more so interested in seeing my dad get his first deer. So hopefully the first of maybe one or two more hunts for the remainder of 2022 But I got it done in Georgia, and thank you guys for the positive words and encouragement throughout this journey that I've taken on the last five years. And I hope if you're just new to hunting, you're curious to learn about hunting, you can field questions my way because I'm a newbie. I want to share as much as I can with you, give you some tips. Every person is different with how they go about hunting, how they start hunting. Every state has different offerings. You may have some different opportunities to hunt Compared to me in Virginia, I am largely hunting on private land, um, not so much public land. So there are a lot of resources. Your state wildlife agency, there's Becoming an Outdoors Woman if you're a gal. Uh, There are a lot of hunt clubs, nonprofits that welcome new hunters, want to get people to 
recruit into the sport. So you have plenty of opportunities if you're also a new hunter or newish hunter. And I say, go for it. And if you get an opportunity, take it. And like I said, I'm excited to share more about Hunter Recruitment Project because I really like what they're doing. And I think they can replicate their efforts in many, many more ways. And I was really excited and honored to have been included in this latest iteration of their hunting trips. So thank you guys for having me. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Baker. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk about you guys soon. And I can't wait to introduce you guys to all the ladies, as many ladies as possible, briefly, because you guys are going to hear an expansion of my Utah interviews. The two individuals I'm speaking with in a more long-form content are San Juan County Commissioner Bruce Adams, who has garnered quite a bit of attention for his comments about Bears Ears and some of the positions he's taken on it, but I wanted to demystify his stances and speak to him, and he showed us Bears Ears National Monument, the overlook there, Um, and we learned a lot. He showed us where the Bears Ears are, why it is named Bears Ears. This was back in May when Madison and I, Madison Hughes, my videographer, and I got to go to southeastern Utah to see this, to understand national monuments, to report and explain why national monuments shouldn't be weaponized and how the governments unfortunately can do that. So Bruce was a wonderful host and he showed us a great time in Bears Ears and the surrounding towns. I also spoke to Andrew Sandstrom, who is a young conservation activist. He is just fresh out of college. He's a young dad, married, etc. And he is also a conservative conservationist. I had initially recorded an exchange with Andrew, but due to an unforeseen accident of me mass deleting audio and video clips, which also resulted in me losing my grizzly bear footage from Montana from last year. Very sad about that. Nevertheless, Andrew and I recently re-recorded our interview because a lot of developments have happened since we spoke. The announcement of the co-management of National Monuments came about. There's also the U.S. Senate race in Utah, which could come down to conservation. And we assessed Senator Mike Lee versus his challenger, Evan McMullen, who is a pretty controversial figure and is not really honest about where he falls on different issues. So we break down who is better in Utah as well. And we talk more about our video. So I think you guys will really appreciate what Andrew and Commissioner Adams have to say an expansion from my video. So make sure to look out for Conservation Nation episode 11 tomorrow. I promise you will enjoy it. You'll enjoy some of the places we visited vicariously through us. I am actively looking for 2023 filming locations and subjects. We will be seeking different tips and suggestions, but I am looking to go to Georgia and Louisiana to film about hog hunting. Louisiana We're looking specifically for gator stories and leads, maybe Arkansas for hog. I am looking to film in Alaska. If you have an interesting project in Alaska for 2023 that you want me to investigate, I am all ears. We're going to look into doing mining in the Great Lakes region, somewhere in Minnesota, Michigan, or Wisconsin. So actively send me your suggestions on Conservation Nation topics, and I hope you enjoy part two of my public lands report. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two 
big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.